And tonight we're starting chapter 11. And the title of the sermon is, What Makes You Great? Now I'm really curious what if I if I were we would like if 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 we were all sitting together and I would ask you what makes you great I wonder I wonder what would you say what thing would you point out about yourself and say that's there's that one thing or maybe several things that make me great I'm really curious what would you say Actually, the whole title of the sermon is not what makes you great. The actual title of the sermon is what makes you, whichever in the room, what makes you greater than John the Baptist. Because Jesus says that either one of you, you're greater than John the Baptist. Let me read the text first and see what we can do after that. So if you have a Bible, please follow along. If not, we have it on the wall. So Matthew 11, starting with verse 2. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet... The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. 
the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So let me, let me begin by asking you something else. How many of you in the last two or three months woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror and said, I'm better and greater than King David or King Solomon or Moses or Abraham or Joshua? Raise your hand if you've done that. You haven't? You're totally unbiblical if you haven't. Did you hear verse 11? Not one who, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John the Baptist is greater than every person who ever lived in the history of humanity. Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Which means, you, are you the least in the kingdom of heaven? Well, I believe so. At least the least. Which means, you are greater than the greatest person who ever lived. But the question is, why? That's the title of the sermon. Why? Or rather, what makes you greater than John the Baptist? I truly believe that if we get to the end of this sermon and you hear what the answer to the question is, you will leave this place maybe more empowered, but hopefully more encouraged to actually be that person that is greater than who. John the Baptist was. Okay? So, stick around. You'll get it at the end. <laughs> um, but, until then, this is something really important for Jesus. Because Jesus says, He introduces this idea of being greater than John the Baptist by saying, Truly I say to you, Now, if you know anything about Jesus, whenever he starts a a sentence with, truly, truly, I say to you, you know it's either extremely important, or it's a big problem. So, what I want us to do in this sermon is unpack Look at the details of why he thinks this year is important. And to answer that question, what makes us greater than John the Baptist? Now, I have three points or three images I want to show you. And then, well, actually two. And then at the end, we'll see what makes us greater than John the Baptist. So, number one. First of all, I want to look at John as a discouraged John the Baptist. Now, we are told that John is in prison. 
and in prison he hears about what Jesus is doing. Right? The text says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. So when he hears about the deeds of the Christ, he sends his people, right? You know, John the Baptist had disciples, just like Jesus had, and many other teachers. He sends a few of his disciples to Jesus to ask him this. So he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? first thing I want to point out is, maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. Usually in the Gospels, when the writer of the Gospel talks about Jesus, he never, he almost never calls him the Christ. The Christ. He calls him Jesus, he calls him the Son of Man. Almost never is he called the Christ. Now, you have to remember that Matthew, when he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, he's writing it after the cross, right? He knows who Jesus is. He already knows by the time he's writing that Jesus was the Christ. So what he's trying to do is to point out, maybe even to contrast, the uncertainty of John the Baptist with who actually who Jesus actually was, right? Because as you saw, the question that John poses is not a very encouraging one. Right? Are you the real deal? Should we wait for another? Are we already are you the Messiah? Is there is is there another one that we should look for? And then secondly, what I want to point out is when Matthew writes about the deeds of, uh, where is it? The deeds, the actions of the Christ, what he means is everything that he already listed in the book of Matthew, right? You have in chapters 5 to 7, you have the the, um, Sermon on the Mount, right? With all its practical implications for Christians. Then, he talks about the miracles, chapters 8 and 9. Everything that Jesus performs there. Demons and healing and all that. And then, in chapter 10, as we saw two weeks ago and last week, it's training the apostles, it's the training of the apostles to go out on a mission. Right? So all these are the deeds that John, in prison, hears about, and it's so interesting that when he hears about these things, right, so the, everything that's in the Sermon on the Mount, everything about the miracles and the healing, everything about training apostles and send them out on a mission, when he hears about those things, the first thing that comes into his mind to ask Jesus is not to tell him how great he is or to thank him, but it's to ask him, are you the real one? Do we need another one? Are you the real Messiah? Or should we look for another one? So we cannot avoid the obvious here. John the Baptist, as great as he is, the greatest man that ever lived, is uncertain. And he is discouraged. And he is imprisoned. Does it get lower than that? 
Okay, so my question is, why is he discouraged? Why is he so uncertain? You could say, well, he's in prison. Of course he's discouraged and whatever. Well, actually, no. Matthew, not Matthew, uh, John the Baptist is one of the toughest and roughest dudes in the Bible. He ate locusts. He wore, he wore fur and, and animal skin. And he lived in the wilderness, in the heat. Probably for long stretches of time without actual food and water. Not only that, but he's the one confronting the king, the emperor, telling him, what you're doing is illegal and immoral. So he's not, he's not a sissy, right? He's, he's, he's a tough guy. He can handle prison. And I was actually reading about the prison where he was locked in, and apparently he was not tortured or anything. He was literally just kept in a cell. And he, he was given the liberty to have people come and visit him, which implies that he was brought food. Right? So he's not, prison is not what discourages and creates uncertainty in him. It's something else. So what is it? It becomes clear as we read through this passage that the reason why John the Baptist is uncertain about who Jesus is and everything is because he had false hopes. He had false expectations about who the Messiah was. And actually you don't need to go further than his preaching to see that. So these are from a sermon that he addressed to the crowds that came to be baptized at the beginning. This is chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He clearly has Old Testament eyes or Old Testament glasses on when he's preaching about the Messiah, the Messiah that is to come. And what does Jesus do, in fact, when he comes? He preaches nice sermons. He eats with the tax collectors. He talks to women at wells. Um, he walks around the countryside and heals people. He gathers a crowd around him and, he, and feeds all of them. And all this time, John the Baptist is thinking, oh, where's the fire? Where's judgment? Where's destruction? Where's the winnowing fork? What are you doing? Are you the Messiah or do I need to look for another one who will burn everybody because he comes with judgment? Now, let's take a step back. Um, of course you know, and we should not forget, the fact that when we hear the word, the Christ, 
we hear it in a different way than the first apostles heard it. John the Baptist and the Twelve. When, and this is, this is something almost that, that happens throughout history. All Christians, well, I mean, before, before, um, before the cross, all believers, let's put it like that, had to interpret the realities around them based on the scriptures, right? Everybody back then would expect, would expect a Messiah like John the Baptist would expect. The Christ for us means a suffering servant, the one who dies on the cross and is raised on the third day from the dead, right? That's what we hear when we say, the Christ. When they said or heard the Christ, the Messiah for them was this God who would come triumphantly in power and judge everybody and free His people, right? The Pharisees thought that the Messiah would come and free them from the Roman uh, um, Empire. But these are, if you're a movie fan, these are two very different scenarios, two different kinds of movies, right? One is a tragedy, the Son of God to die on a cross. And the other one is a, is a Rambo movie, or a Schwarzenegger type of movie, where he comes and destroys everything that is evil. Two different kinds of scenarios. Two different kinds of messiahs. During those times, nobody had a category in their mind with regards to who actually, who the messiah actually was. They could not have expected a Messiah like the, the one that actually came. There, was no, there were no signs of that. They couldn't have. For example, the resurrection took everybody by surprise. On Friday evening, after Jesus was crucified, the apostles didn't go to the upper room and were like, Yeah, Sunday's coming, man. No, they were freaking out. They were scared for their lives. They didn't know what to do. Their teacher and their leader was killed. They didn't expect Resurrection Sunday. For them, that was it. He died. Right? So they could not have imagined a Messiah like the one that, could, that actually came. So, what I'm trying to say is, why would we expect John the Baptist to be different? He was discouraged. He was uncertain. But that still doesn't answer the question, why was he discouraged and uncertain? He expected a different kind of Messiah than the one he gets. And it's interesting to look at Jesus' response to his question. Right? So his question was, do we need to look for another one? His answer is this. 
And Jesus answered them, the disciples that came, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All these words, all these, all these lines are almost literally taken from the prophecies in Isaiah about the Messiah that is to come. And John the Baptist, who is in prison, he knew the book of Isaiah. He knew it really well. How do we know that? We know it because he, he used the book of Isaiah to present himself and his ministry to the people. Right? He called, he himself called himself the voice of the one crying in the wilderness who prepares the way of the Lord, right? Isaiah 40, verse 3. He, he knew the book of Isaiah. He knew the prophecies. So, what is Jesus' response to that? Jesus goes back to the same book of Isaiah to define and identify his self, himself and his ministry from the same book John the Baptist identified himself and his ministry. And John the Baptist knows this. Let me just show you. So, these are the two verses that Jesus uses to answer John. Right? First one, Isaiah 35, 5. says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Right? Very similar to the image here. Then Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because, of the Lord, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Right? Almost word by word. But the interesting thing is, of course, John knew these passages very well, in integrally, actually. But what, it's, what is interesting here is that Jesus, when he quotes these passages, he leaves out the judgment part. What judgment part would you say? Well, the verse right before Isaiah 35.5 goes like this. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And the verse right after 61.1 is 61.2 that says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. Jesus leaves those out and he only mentions the blessings. What is he doing? What is he trying to tell John the Baptist? What, what would you, as John the Baptist in prison, in this circumstance, would expect for Jesus to say? You would, say, you would expect him to say, Yes, I'm the one. But he doesn't do that. Isn't that funny? Because Jesus, like, I mean, if you're, if you're, you're Jesus and you want to encourage the best man that ever lived, Who's, the, who's the, 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 the one who presents it to the whole world? 
you are going to call them this and on. You can't stand people. They are under on. I'm, I'm, I'm it. Or he. He doesn't do that. It's so weird. He just tells him, do you know the book of, you know the book of Isaiah? Here it is. Because if you, uh, those of you who are here, two weeks ago we looked at uh, the sending out of, of the twelve. And one of the things I was saying is, um, Jesus, the first, the first reason why Jesus came is to fulfill the scriptures. So for Jesus, the prophecies from the Old Testament are extremely important. And that's what he's, that's where he's pointing John the Baptist in prison. The prophecies, the Word of God, the Old Testament. I'm doing that, so of course I'm He. And another thing that he's saying is, John, be patient. Judgment will come. But that's not for you to decide when. John the Baptist has fulfilled his ministry. He brought and showed Jesus to the people. Now Jesus is here. John did prepare his way and he did shout in the wilderness. Now he needs to just be quiet and be patient. In two chapters, John the Baptist will be beheaded and he will die. And you know, the greatest line that comes from John the Baptist is, He must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what happens. So, before we end uh, the first image, namely the discouraged John the Baptist, we need to, <clears throat> I think we need to understand what actually happened. You know, I'm, I'm trying to step back into present here with us. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, now we don't really know each other, many of you are new. Um, what is the most discouraging thing in your life as a believer? Because I can give you the one thing that I, I think is the most discouraging thing for a believer. Um, we read the Word of God often, hopefully daily, and we think we understand what God wants to say and what He is willing or wills to do. And then, it doesn't happen like that. We believe that we know what God is doing and saying and thinking. And then something happens and it doesn't turn out that way. Something else happens. Like many times it happens in our own lives. With anything. Apartment buying, for example. Or, I mean, probably everybody here can name at least one thing. Many of, you, many of you from Ukraine probably four years ago did not think that you're going to be in Koinonia in Holborn, right? But here you are. And you know what? It's not the war that brought you here. 
It's Jesus that brought you here. Because if it's not Jesus, then He's not in control of everything. So what happened to John the Baptist? There's no one word to put on it, but the idea is we should not have false expectations. We should stick to the Word of God and to the categories that it provides for us to understand the things that happen around us. Not bring our own, what? Our own um, methodology or theory to explain the Word of God. Let the Word of God teach you. Let the Word of God even um, reform you, if you will. Have a reforming type of mindset when you come to the Word of God. God, in a, in a big part, is a mystery. He didn't reveal everything to us. He revealed everything to us here that we need for salvation. But in the book of, in the Gospel of John, John the, uh, the disciple says, if everything would be written down about what Jesus did and say, not enough books would, f there's no, not enough books in the world to contain it. Right? So, um, maybe I should say this as well. The one thing that usually surprises us is suffering in one way or form or another. So when it comes to suffering, the Bible has a lot to say, but when it comes to suffering, whether bodily or mentally or psychologically or emotionally, we should approach them as Christians with the categories that the Bible provides. You know, somebody said, um, when suffering comes and takes you by surprise, it's not just the suffering that causes pain, but also the reality that you had no categories for understanding that suffering. So, let's not be surprised by suffering. Image number two. These will get shorter and shorter as we go. We're close to the end. So, second one is the defended John the Baptist. What do I mean by that? Now, um, after Jesus uh, talks or answers the disciples, they leave and go to John the Baptist in prison to tell him what Jesus said. Right? What, what, what the answer was to his question whether he should look for somebody else. And um, then, Jesus turns to the crowds and starts talking to the crowds. Why is that? Right, the text says, verse 7, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Now, you have to remember, these are people, usually the crowds were probably mixing, on the, for the most, they were pretty much the same people, either following John or following Jesus. And these would be probably the same people that heard John the Baptist preach about the 
fire and the Holy Spirit and the vengeance and the winnowing fork and and these would be probably some of the people that he baptized as well. So when they heard Jesus answer that question the way he answered it, they would be like, Ah, did you see? There's no fire. There's no vengeance. Did you see how he put him in his place? But Jesus will not have any of that. Before it was John who bore witness to Jesus, now Jesus is bearing witness to John. But it's a different kind of witness than you would expect. So, how does he address the, the crowd? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? What did you expect? Why did you go out in the wilderness to see him anyway? But if you went, what did you want to see? And then he asks again, What then did you go out to see? Jesus begins rebuking the crowd by constantly asking questions and providing answers. For example, a man dressed in soft clothing? A man dressed in soft clothing are in palaces, not in the wilderness. And then again, he asks for the third time, What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Probably at this time the crowds are not even moving anymore. We don't want to answer, we don't want to hear anything. Just let's just let the guy talk. Because he's rebuking us. And then surprisingly, Jesus says, Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Now, let me ask you, how can you be more than a prophet? Or what is more than a prophet? How is John the Baptist more than a prophet? How is he different from all the other prophets? Because he apparently he's more than one. He's not just a prophet who speaks the word of God, because that what that's what the prophets did. He's the prophet that the word of God spoke about. Isaiah talks about him. Malachi talks about him, and it's the Malachi text that Jesus actually uses. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. There's 400 years of nothing, and then John the Baptist comes. Do you see how he's more than just a prophet? then at one point in our text Jesus says he is more than a prophet and if you want to he's the Elijah if you're willing to accept him as that Elijah he is a prophet if you want him to be a prophet but he's more than that and then we come to this verse probably one of the most encouraging verses ignored as such in the Bible. This and its ending. I only put the first part here. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist.
And do you even do you even see what that means? So this is we're not talking about fiction here. We're talking about reality. Jesus actually said this, and John the Baptist was actually the greatest man that ever lived. Let me ask you, do you know why? Why is he the greatest man that was ever born of woman? Women? Woman? Why is he that? It's because he was chosen by God to be the last man in a line of men who would point to Jesus and say, He is the one. That's the only reason why. He didn't do anything else, John the Baptist. His only ministry was to point Jesus out and say, He is the one. That's it. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, just imagine the crowd. Just take a moment, take a second and imagine the crowd around Jesus. If, let me help you imagine it in a different way. Just imagine, so I, I come up here and, and say to you, Stephen, Stephen is the greatest let me, let me do it in a different way. So, I'm very happy to be back here and I have a really great news for you. Stefan is the greatest man that ever lived. And you know why? Because he just introduced me. That's exactly what happened. Do you even see how megalomaniac that sounds? Nobody talks like that. People who talk like that are either megalomaniac, crazy, or in this case, God. I said, I told you before, when John introduced, when John started his ministry and introduced Jesus to the world, what he said is, he must increase, I must decrease. When, John, when uh, Jesus introduces or defends John the Baptist, he says, he's the greatest man in the world that ever lived because he introduces me to you. That's what made John the Baptist great. And here we are at point number three. What makes you then greater than hi- him? So John the ba- we just saw that John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived because he was chosen by God to point Jesus out. Right? And my question to you and to myself is what makes you, what makes us greater than him? Because Jesus says we are greater than him. So let me read the verse again. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. This is a very short point, and it's going to be the most important point on the sermon. And I'm finishing right now.
Why is the one least in the kingdom greater than John the Baptist? Why? What is the meaning of this comparison? The first sentence and the second sentence. We just established in the previous point that John the Baptist was chosen as the greatest man in the history of humanity because he was the one that would point Jesus out. Which means the second part of the comparison is also about pointing Jesus out. What do I mean by that? If you are here tonight, and let's say you were a Christian for two, three weeks, let's say, maybe nobody's in that case, but let's say, one of you is a Christian for three weeks now. You would still be greater than John the Baptist. Why is that? Because you would be able to more clearly point out Jesus, the Christ, than John the Baptist could. You know why? Because you could say this. Sorry, I missed an A right there. I am a Christian because Jesus Christ died on the cross because of my sins. He bore my guilt on the tree and God accepts his sacrifice on my behalf. John the Baptist couldn't say that. He didn't say that. And was still considered the greatest man in history because he was chosen to point Jesus out. And I hope you see the implications because if you haven't or you don't, I'm going to point it out. Every single one of us here, if you're a believer, you are on a mission, you have a ministry you are on a mission to point Jesus out at any stage in your life. Anywhere, whether in Ukraine, in Alborg, in Poland, anywhere. If you are a believer. If you are that three weeks old believer, wherever you go, you will be, should be able to say, I am a Christian, because Jesus Christ died on the cross because of my sins. He bore my guilt on the tree and God accepts His sacrifice on my behalf. That's your mission. That's it. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, we thank You for Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the fact that we are believers and Christians because of what He did at the cross. Willingly. Lord, help us to be a mouth that opens wherever we go. Help us not be ashamed. We don't want you to be ashamed of us either. Lord, we want to be courageous and speak the truth in love. We want to be salt and light in this world. 
because if Christians are not salt and light, then darkness prevails. Lord, you called us to be light. Help us be that. Help us walk the narrow path. Help us hunger and, and be passionate for our holiness. Help us desire to be more like Jesus. And help us be able to love people so much, even those who are impossible to be loved. To love them so much that we would give them the greatest gift that ever existed. The greatest treasure. Jesus Christ. By simply opening our mouth. Help us do that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, let's stand up for the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.